0: Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is October, somehow we are back in October and early deadlines are approaching. So for those of you who are seniors who are applying this year, if you have not started working on your applications, now is the time. Um, We are, for those of you who are applying in some form of early, early decision, early action, priority, whatever that looks like, um, as you're finalizing those applications, we have information for you and tips uh, for both the supplemental essays, and for the activity section. But equally weighing, I believe, on many people's minds um, is applying for financial aid. And applying for financial aid means completing the FAFSA. And uh, so we're going to talk about that first. And joining me um, for that is my colleague and former financial aid officer, Chrissy. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So normally, we would have the FAFSA, um, it would be available for families to fill out as of October 1. So it is not available. What is happening?
2: Oh, gosh, so much is happening. Um, Yeah. So normally, uh, if you're a a family that's got a returning student and you're used to that October first deadline, it's not happening this year, unfortunately, with the FAFSA. So um, the Department of Education basically uh, passed an act a couple of years ago called the FAFSA Simplification Act. And Um, it was enacted back in 2021. They're basically making some major changes to the FAFSA. So because of that, the Department of Education is still kind of in the midst of of doing all these updatings. Um, So the FAFSA, they have said, is not going to be available until December sometime. Um, We haven't heard an exact date, um, so stay tuned with us and and hopefully we can give you some updates on that. But it's going to give families less time to get the form filled out, which is kind of the biggest issue. That's two less months you have. So I think this year it's really important for um, students to know or families to know what the college deadlines are to get it filled out. And those may change as well because it's opening late. So just a heads up, you may want to make sure you're checking your
1: your college websites for those deadlines. Right. And two things that come to mind for me. The first is that the FAFSA didn't used to become available until January, February. So January 1st, it used to be available. So it's only been maybe, I don't know, five years or so that it's been October. Right. So So it's, it's not, unheard of for the colleges to be able to get this information um slightly later than october 1 and do a fine job of preparing application or financial aid awards for students so for families who are kind of freaking out about that piece um i'm sure the financial aid offices are freaking out a little bit but it has been done (laughs) in the past and it can be done again right and then Yep.
2: Sorry. I was going to say financial aid offices are all trying to take measures too, to make sure that, you know, nothing's laid on their end because of all of this too. So hopefully right. it won't be a, a big deal to, to families and decision processes, but it's just a couple, couple months later. Right.
1: And, and the other thing I think families need to keep in mind is that, If the FAFSA is delayed past when it's supposed to be out, the colleges are going to adjust their uh, deadlines accordingly, right? They will do nothing without the FAFSA.
2: And a lot of colleges already have deadlines of, you know, February 1st or January 31st, that sort of thing to begin with. So there's not a ton of colleges that are saying, hey, get it filled out before the end of the year, you know, unless you're doing something special. But typically, yeah, I I think it's not going to be that big of a deal for the deadlines.
1: Right. Awesome, okay, so let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the changes. So there are changes happening. What can yeah. you tell us about those?
2: Yeah, so they did some pretty big changes to this FAFSA, which I think is going be it's gonna be good for families because one of the big things is that they've simplified it. Um, so they have made it a shorter version. So if you've ever filled the FAFSA out before, you know there's lots of questions, there's lots of tax information, lots of income questions. Um, with the new form, they've actually cut out about 62 questions from the form, which makes the FAFSA now only about 46 questions long. Um, So hopefully it'll be simplified, is what they're saying.
1: (laughs) Right. 46 still sounds like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, one big change. Will parents still have to provide tax information?
2: So that's gonna be a little bit different too with this FAFSA. So in the past, um, parents would have to use something called the data retrieval tool um, to, they would link back to the IRS website, sign in there, and then their information would be automatically transferred into the new FAFSA. Um, With this new FAFSA, parents will still have to answer a few questions about income and assets, but once they submit the FAFSA, they will um, give their consent for the Department of Education to um get their fa- their tax information on the back end so nice. they're consenting to get it from the IRS. so the parents that's kind of a big step the parents don't have to do anymore which in the past has been kind of a headache for for some families so hopefully that again will be a good thing
1: right absolutely because if it didn't work for some reason that was on the families yeah. to figure out now yeah. the colleges will obviously figure that out and hopefully maybe the back end piece makes it a little bit easier mm-hmm. for the colleges too end. who knows right um, I, so. <laughs> I, I think. I think. Unfortunately, for this year's group of seniors, the thing to probably keep in mind is just that it won't be without hiccups, right? Um, yeah. Like any new process, it's going to take yeah. a little bit to work out the kinks. And you're um, you're a family who is going to be subject to that. But oh well, um, you yeah, know that. I think December hard. could be a little interesting as well,
2: since everyone's going to be waiting and all of a sudden we'll get a date and every family will try to be on the FAFSA at the same time. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You can wait a couple of days, maybe let it, you know, work out the
1: kinks. I think that's fine too. Wait a couple of days, maybe be on it early, early in the morning or late, late at night, you know, trying not to be on when everybody else is going to be on will probably be helpful. Absolutely. Um, What are some other things that parents and students should be aware of with this new FAFSA? And this isn't the first time we've talked about what might be happening with the FAFSA, but we've promised everyone we're going to give them the latest and greatest. So, what are some other new things?
2: So, another nice change I think that's being made is again, if you've had students in the past, students used to be able to only add ten colleges at a time, which we've had more phone calls about. Oh my gosh, I have twelve. How do I add those two more? So, and it's it is a bit of a process. It could be very cumbersome. So. Now with this new FAFSA, they are adding, or the maximum you can add now is 20 colleges on the one application. So hopefully that will take care of a lot of confusion, just, you know, having parents have to go back in after it's been processed. So 20 new coll- or 20 colleges now instead of 10, which is great. Um, another thing just kind of in passing to, to let families know is in the past, when you submitted a FAFSA, the result that it would calculate for you was called your expected family contribution. Mm -hmm. And that was basically what they thought you could reasonably pay to, to help your child go to school. They've changed the name of that. So instead of having it called the expected family contribution or EFC, the new FAFSA, you're going to get something called a student aid index or an SAI is what colleges will likely call it. So The student aid index, it's just a better, it's just a new name to better indicate the the number, it's a guideline for determining how much a student could afford to pay, not what they're expected to pay, so just some new new names there And, and the student aid report, which is the report you can get after the fact of filling out the FAFSA, that's now called a FAFSA submission summary, so they're just okay. reading lots of things to just to be aware of. If you're looking for your student aid report, it's now a FAFSA submission summary.
1: Right. I get the idea behind the student aid index. I wonder if it will really be a meaningful yeah. change for families, right? Because the reality is that the student aid index it may you may not be required to pay that much because some colleges may expect you to pay more than that right it's exactly
2: yeah it all depends on the school you're applying to so it does and i understand why they changed it but i don't think it's gonna i don't know how much less confusion it's going to to cause i guess or help with so
1: exactly i think it's going to tell you something it's not going to tell you everything and i think that's the key and then I just want to put it out there that um, just because you can apply for financial aid or fill out the FAFSA and send it to 20 colleges, does that mean that you should be doing that? <laughs> you know, we do encourage students to have a very reasonable list of schools. And for me, that's somewhere between seven and 10, maybe yeah. 12. I love that it's, they've expanded it because we certainly do have lots of students who apply to as many as 12. And yeah. it is nice to not have to do what you were saying, like, wait, and then go back and refill it or resend it to two additional schools. But just because it's available at 20 or you can do 20 does not mean you should be doing 20. (laughs) Just gonna throw it out there. I agree. One big change uh, this coming year, uh, I'm gonna ask the question, but I already know the answer. And that is, is the FAFSA still gonna consider having more than one child in college? So that is one of kind of the
2: bigger downsides to this new FAFSA is that unfortunately, that's going away. So again, if you're a family that was excited to have two kids in college and help you know, hopefully that helps your financial aid eligibility, the FAFSA has now they're no longer considering that in the um, the equation for financial aid eligibility. So um, if there are schools that use the CSS profile, some of those private schools that use a different application, you may be able to talk with them about using more than one child in college, seeing if they can do a, a special circumstance or something. But if you're just doing a kind of a FAFSA only school, um, chances are they're not going to consider more than one child in college anymore.
1: Right, right. And the idea behind that, obviously, being that the thinking is, why do you get a break? Because yes. you, were, you, ha- you were lucky to have your kids close in age. So, yes. Right. So unless and they were
2: you know one is five years older than the other those parents never got a break they just paid the same amount but exactly that's exactly why they got rid of it right so A lot of right. parents we're talking to aren't real happy about that but if you have twins you know that kind of thing.
1: Yeah no for sure. We so have someone on staff you know, with twins.
2: yeah, exactly so I mean you know you can certainly talk with the schools you're applying to see if that's something they might consider this year might be a little different going forward but yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely.
1: Um, Do students and parents are still going to need to get a username and a password to fill out the FAFSA?
2: Yeah, so that um, the process of that hasn't really changed. So when you're filling out the FAFSA in the past, again, this is all different. But in the past, you used to be able to go in and get your student aid ID the same day. And then you could fill out the FAFSA without a problem because of all the changes they're making. Now they're telling people if you could get a student aid ID with at least maybe three to five business days prior to filling out the fafsa because they need to um, basically check all of it check your social security number with your birth date and your name and all of that so they want to have all of that approved and and processed prior to you filling out the fafsa so just don't try to go in and get your id at the same time that you get the fafsa filled out that day in december so the good thing is you have a couple of months now that Families can get one student. The student going to school needs to have their own student aid ID um, to sign the FAFSA, and then at least one parent. So they're even changing how that's kind of happening now. So if, if you're married and you're filing joint, you only need one parent to have an FSA ID. If you're married but you're filing separate tax returns, both parents need to get an ID. So there should be some some help wizards on there that hopefully can walk you through that when it comes out in December. But definitely if you can at least have one parent and the student get a student id you know now or even just a week prior to getting that filled out that that'll be a lot
1: less hassle i think yeah, I mean, for people who are looking for how can we get ahead in the process, this is a great mm-hmm. example. Once yep. you're done listening to the podcast, go yeah. get your FSA ID and put it somewhere safe so that when it's time to fill out the FAFSA, you know where to find it and you haven't lost it.
2: Yeah, and even that process, getting your ID, I mean, there's a lot to that process. There's a lot of security questions and things you have to set up, so it it, it helps if you can do it ahead of time.
1: Got it. All right. Um, what if parents are divorced? Um, is that... Um, has that changed anything with the new FAFSA as someone who
2: is yeah. divorced
1: with a <laughs> child in school? Yeah, so again,
2: one big change. They've really changed a lot with the FAFSA this year. It's amazing. But one big change. So this, it still remains the same. If you're divorced, um, the custodial parent is the only parent on the FAFSA. So you're only providing that parent's income and assets. What has changed, though, is the way they determine who the custodial parent is. So in past, um, the custodial parent on the FAFSA was the parent that the student lived with most in the past 12 months. With this new FAFSA, they're now saying they want it to be determined by who provided the most support in the last 12 months. So mm. that can be a very big shift for some families. And you know, they haven't necessarily said how, how you determine that if you're using who claimed them on a tax return or if you're literally just saying, yeah, I know you know so-and-so did the most support. So we're going to use that parent. So again, there's going to be a parent wizard on the FAFSA that will kind of walk a student through asking some of those questions as to if they're married, if they're divorced, you know, who did you live with, who provided the most support. So that's going to be the biggest, I think change for um, divorced
1: families. Got it. Okay. And last question for you. Oh, I lost my list of questions. Okay. Any other changes to providing income information? And just for our listeners who maybe are less familiar, income is the big piece when it comes to determining financial aid eligibility. So anything that's new on that front?
2: Yeah. So in they do have some, I mean, aside from the taxes not having to be transferred in, which is great. But in the past, they would always have you tell them or include what were your pre-tax contributions to your 401k or retirement plans. So even though they didn't include your at, your your retirement as an asset, they still asked how much did you contribute to your 401k last year? Right. Um, that would in turn raise your income, which raised your expected family contribution. That's going away. So they're not asking that question anymore, which is great. So parents could actually re- contribute more to a 401k and that doesn't affect their financial aid eligibility for that question. Um, the other big thing that changed was child support received. So again, in the past, there would be a separate question that said, you know, did you how much did you receive in child support in the last you know, 12 months, um, that is now just going to be considered as an asset. And so for that to be considered an asset, it's going to account a lot less than if it were considered as income. So right. the FAFSA has, you know, certain calculations in place and assets don't account for nearly as much of your expected family contribution as income does. So having child support considered an asset now that can really help save families a lot of money and reduce that student aid index, I guess. Right, right. (laughs) The the new expected family contribution.
1: And these seem like great changes because what's happening is you're not being forced to not save for your retirement um, or you're not being penalized for saving for your retirement. Um, And child support, which goes to lots of different things and shouldn't, and can't just go to paying for college, right? Is going to be, yeah. uh, they're not going to take as big a chunk. So, or they're not going to look at as big a chunk which I think is right. great.
2: Yeah, because in the past it was untaxed income which was even a larger chunk. So right. hopefully by doing all these changes they're going to have what they're saying is more families will will qualify for some help for some need-based aid. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Hopefully it will be an easy process <laughs> yep. smooth for all the families out there.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right, Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing um, the latest and greatest on the FAFSA simplification. Let's see if it truly is a simplification. We will report back when all is said and done in in the spring. Um, but for now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have more info on completing the activities section of the application, so don't go away.
0: America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us
3: today. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results? 100% 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit GetIntoCollege.com slash experts to learn more.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. You are listening to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. Um, We just talked all about the FAFSA simplification, so if you missed it, go back listen to that i don't know how you could have missed it but hey who knows some people just decide to randomly enter podcasts at any time and place so um but we are now going to be speaking directly to seniors who are in the thick of completing applications although if you're the parent of a younger student or if you are a younger student you should certainly listen in and you certainly can listen in Um, we're going to be talking about the activities section a really important part of um, most applications Not all, but most. Um, And joining me for that is my colleague, Brittany Preston, who's also a former admissions officer at UC Boulder, at Oregon State, and at Gonzaga. Hi, Brittany.
4: Hi. So excited to be here, Beth.
1: Absolutely. I think this might be the first time you're a guest with me as the host. Is that true?
4: There was one other time we talked about transcripts, but (laughs) happy to be back.
1: (laughs) That's right. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad to have you back. Um, All right. So let's start with the very basics. General introduction to the activities list.
4: Yeah. Well, first off, I'm really excited we're talking about this today because like you said, seniors are in the thick of it and I feel like this is a section they often rush through and don't give a lot of attention to and they underestimate the importance of this section. Uh, So like you said, a lot of applications have an area called the activity list or the activity section and this is where a student can highlight what they do outside of the classroom. So the first things that come to Mind for them might be their clubs, sports, music, theater, things that they do at their school, but it's so much more than that. It's everything from internships to research to even things like hobbies and family responsibilities the admission counselors are really curious and interested in what they're doing with their time outside of school. How are they exploring their interests? What skills are they developing? What are they excited about? And this activity list allows them to tell that piece of the story.
1: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of This is one of the places where when I was an admissions officer, I would see students just fall down on the job. Like Mm -hmm. you've done all of these exciting, interesting things. And now it comes time to translate that into your application. And you didn't do a good (laughs) job of that. And now I don't have a good sense of what you were doing, um, why you did it, that kind of thing. Um, All right. So let's talk about that piece. How do they take this group of things that they have been involved in and get it into the application, especially considering that it's certainly in the Common App, the space in which to include that stuff is pretty minimal, really. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So focusing on the Common App specifically, they give 10 spaces and they ask a variety of specific questions. And like you said, they're extremely limiting in word count and character count. So they're going to ask what the name of the activity is. They're going to ask what um, the title or what your role was. So this is where you could say if you were a member or a president or a treasurer. Um, I often see students just add really weird things here. It should just be your title. Um, You know, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing that you should be like cramming something in or putting a full sentence. It's just, what was your role? Then it's going to ask, how many days per week, how many weeks per year, and what years in high school you participated. So college applications actually don't have a space for you to list what you did in middle school. They're going to be really focused on 9th, 10th, and 11th and 12th grade. So what years did you participate in that activity? The Common App also will ask if this was during the school year, if it was during a break, or if it was a year-long activity. So that's how you can differentiate what you did during the summer versus what you did during the school year. Right. But the, the section where students really struggle is the description. They only give you 150 characters. And it really depends you know, what your activity is, but that is not a lot of space. And you realize that as you begin to type out and, and write out what you wanna say. So I encourage students to think about what do you want to highlight? Like, what are the most important things that an admission counselor should know about my involvement in this activity? You know, whether it be research, whether it be a sport, whether it be a hobby, um, and think about active verbs. You know, don't think about just saying exactly what you did, but Words like lead or um, coordinated or challenged, much like a resume, you want to think about the verbs you use to highlight your skills and the role you played in that.
1: Right. And I think two things stand out for me. One, you mentioned this when you were saying you see students doing weird things with the title and it really should just be your title. You said they're writing a sentence sometimes. No sentences really should be no complete sentences anywhere in the activity section. This is not a place where you need a noun, a verb, and a period, right? Like, exactly. This needs to be short and sweet. Um, and it needs to focus on your role. So, I another mistake that I would see students make is they were part of some club that maybe at a glance I wouldn't know what the club was. Mm-hmm. So, and the entire description was telling me what the club was. So, I don't really, it, the club matters less than what you did as part of the club. And if you do a good job describing your role, I should generally get a sense of what the club was at that point, right?
4: Absolutely. And that's a great point that like, just like in your college essay, you're keeping the focus on you and who you are, in these descriptions, you should keep the focus on you, what you your role was, right. and also don't assume that someone knows what your role was. Like a lot of times, I'll see students just, like you said, describe the club, but what was your role as president of that club? Or maybe you're a member of French Club. You know, a lot of high schools have French Club, but what exactly did your French Club do? Right. Um, you know, were you hosting cultural events? Were you bringing in speakers? Um, what was your role in that and so the more detail you can provide the better Um, and like Beth said don't be afraid to make condensed statements they're not full-length sentences you can use abbreviations you know instead of the word and maybe you use ampersand you just saved some some word count and some character count.
1: Absolutely, and I think one other thing that sometimes students will struggle with is how do they come up with the hours per week and the weeks per year? Do you have some guidelines that you suggest for students? For example, if they did something for the whole school year, how long is the whole school year typically? I have what I do, I'm curious more about you.
4: (laughs) I'm glad you brought this up because every student I work with or speak to is like, how do I calculate the time? The main reason students struggle with this is most likely it's not a consistent amount of time every week of the year. So if you're a choir student, you might have different times of the year where you're really engaged in performing and you have rehearsals, you have live performances. So those weeks might be more hours than a week where you just have regular rehearsals or regular class. So my recommendation is kind of think about the span of time and look at those busy times versus regular times and average it out. Try your very best to average it out. And a lot of students get worried, well, it's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be an estimate, an average. Obviously, look at your list. And if you're over 24 hours a day doing something, an admission counselor might kind of raise an eyebrow. But as a mission counselor, I very rarely went and added everything up. I mean, I was more just getting a sense of what was the time commitment? How much time did this take? And what was asked of you? So.
1: Yeah, the only time I would add it up is if it would looked excessive. So if yeah. the student kind of overestimated, yeah. maybe it was an activity that they actually did for half the school year, but for whatever reason, they put for the whole school year. And then I was thinking, how could they possibly have done this for 18 hours a week? And then also had this activity for Ten hours a week, yeah, I don't you know, it just if something felt off, that's when I might dig a little deeper or say, hmm I think this student is overestimating, but like you, I did never I never sat there and intentionally added everything up. I was really looking for that those pieces, as you mentioned. The other thing sometimes I might have a student do, if there isn't a lot to say in the description, I actually had this mm-hmm. uh, my son do this. He had a part-time job. Um, depending on the time of the year, he might he worked as many as twenty three hours a week at that job. But when it was football season, he worked only about ten hours a week in that job. So I had him write in the section that just you know during this time period he was doing twenty three hours, and at this time period it was really only ten because the average didn't tell the whole story. Um, yeah. But if he hadn't had space, I wouldn't have had him do it, and I wouldn't have worried about it really, truthfully. Yeah.
4: Well, and actually, that's a good point that you just brought up about space because some students worry they don't have enough, mm-hmm. um, and so they can't fill all ten. For those students, be authentic and and make sure you're thinking about things outside of the school day, like hobbies or how you do spend your time. You know, I've seen a student list gaming because they spend a lot of time gaming and competing against other students. But the flip side of that coin, there's students that have more than 10. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets a little tricky. Um, There are things you can combine. So, for example, if you have lots of volunteer service and they're very similar and they were, you know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there at different organizations, that could be something that's similar and could be be combined into one row um, or one activity. Um, But you want to be thoughtful, and you may have to cut some things out. And I think for the really high achieving go-getter students that have a huge list of activities, that's really challenging for them. Um, So think about are there ways that maybe that will come up in an essay or other pieces of the application, but put your most important things in those 10.
1: Right. And there is an opportunity where you might be able to put something in the additional information section. I saw a student the other day who had won a lot of awards um, in his particular form of art, and so he'd created a little very short list of those awards. Um, it didn't really fit into the activities section, so he listed it in the additional information section. The admissions officers may or may not look at it, but it's there if they if they're going to spend some time taking a look. And he didn't have to shortchange his activities to fit those in there. And I think you know that was kind of a really important piece. Um, what about? Uh, how do you think about the order you put them in there, right? So if you're someone who's done a ton of things, or maybe you haven't, maybe you've done eight really important things, but you do have 10 things that you're putting on the list. How do you think about the order? Yeah, This is another big one for yeah. me.
4: <laughs> a big message here is those first few slots are the most important, yeah. Um that is kind of the first impression an admission counselor gets. And, you know, good admission counselors are going to really be detailed and read all the way down the list. But ones who are rushing or kind of just getting a snapshot, they might just kind of skim those first few and then skim the rest of the list. Um, so, really being thoughtful about what is most important to me, what is my largest time commitment. And maybe some of the most recent, really big things in your life. So maybe it's not a huge t- time commitment, but it was a big award that should be further up on the list um, or something that you spend the majority of your time doing that should probably be in slot number one or number two.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I like to see students who have leadership. You want to get that up front. Leadership can be really valuable. Right. And then and within that frameworks of most to least important, you also want to be after most important is most to least important. That's number one. Number two is then within that framework, most to least recent, Um, because we shouldn't you shouldn't be leading with something that you haven't done since ninth grade. Right. So that's really important. And then if you can group like items together, I think that can be impactful, but it doesn't, it doesn't always make sense, but it can be a good way to think about it too. So if you are heavily involved um, in music and you have a number of different music-related activities, it might make sense to get them all in order versus having other things interspersed amongst them that are maybe not as integral to the way that you spend your time.
4: Well, and I always ask students the question, if you walked into the admissions office at Penn or CU Boulder and you could only talk about one activity, what is that? Okay, Uh now you can only talk about two. What is that? And that kind of helps them begin to think about what do I want them to know? Um, It also begins to paint a picture. So, you know, if you list a bunch of sports up top, I'm going to kind of think, okay, this student spends a lot of time in athletics. If I see a sport and music and student council, all all of a sudden, I'm seeing a well-rounded student. Um, and so you also want to think about what they're walking away with. If you're applying to a competitive program like computer science, maybe getting one of those experiences in tech or computer science space up in those top four can make a difference as well because you want to demonstrate your interest in the field and what you've done in that field. But at the end of the day, they're just trying to get to know you through these. Like, it's amazing how different stories are told through how you spend your time. And they're trying to pick up on things like leadership, um, trying to think about time commitments, responsibilities, passions, you know, what are you curious about? They use the activity list to, to determine that and learn your story.
1: Absolutely. We have just a minute left, but um, the UCs, the University of California application, also has an activity section. It's a little bit different from the Common App. Any specific tips that you would offer to students filling that application out?
4: Yeah. So, the UCs do give you more space. So, a lot of students really find joy that they have 350 characters to describe what they did. And for things like jobs and internships, they also give you additional space to describe that organization. So, to your point of student wasting space, explaining what the organization is, you don't have to do that on the UCs. So, on the UCs, use that space. Don't copy and paste your Common App activity list into the University of California app, be thoughtful about more detail and beefing those descriptions up. Um, And then other, you know, application platforms don't have an activity list. So be aware of that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Brittany, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and sharing your thoughts on this.
4: My pleasure. Have a great day.
1: All right. Thanks. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about supplemental essays, another really important component of uh, applications and when colleges are asking for those. So don't go away.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
3: In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice schools. Visit GetIntoCollege.com slash experts to learn more. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: back to the show. Welcome
1: back everyone to getting in a college coach conversation. We just talked all about activities and completing the activity section. And now for those of you who are filling out applications right now, we're talking about supplemental essays. Um, The nice thing of course about the activity section is once you complete it for the common app, it's done for all of your schools that are common app schools. Supplemental essays on the other hand, not so much. Uh, Joining me for this conversation is my colleague, Lisa Albro, who's also a former admissions officer at Goucher College and a former school counselor. So I know she's had this conversation infinite times. Hi, Lisa. Hi. It
5: seems like every year for the last 25 years of my life, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. sounds about right. I haven't been having yeah. that conversation for quite as long, but pretty close, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, all yeah. right. Well, let's talk about supplemental essays. Um, and I do want to throw out there to our listeners that Um, last year. So if you are, if you want to go to our archive, you can look at, um, shows that we did all last fall. And we actually have some specific segments for some specific schools and their questions, um, some of which may be the same this year. So if you're sort of looking for a little bit more beyond what Lisa and I are going to talk about right now, the archive is a great place to go. And I would just go to 2022, um, September, October, maybe even August, um, and possibly even into November uh, if you want to poke around and see what supplemental essays we spoke about last year but let's talk about them this year and let's start with something really basic what the heck are supplemental essays
5: what are they they are specific questions that individual colleges want the answer to so your personal statement is going to pretty much all your colleges on the common application but then individual schools will have some additional questions that they'll want answered not every school but many schools yep Yep. Right. And sometimes it's one supplemental essay. Sometimes it's multiple supplemental
1: yes. essays. Hi, Stanford. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And I would say that for schools that are asking supplemental essay questions, I generally find I certainly found when I was at Penn. We didn't have the Common App when I was at Penn, but Penn still asks similar questions to those that we asked back when I was there. Um Those were more important in many ways than the main essay. The main essay was important, but those essays were the place where I went to see how much effort, at a minimum, the student had put into my school's application. And then in the case of um, some of the questions we asked, I was going to find the link between why was the student applying to this school, right? So... Can you talk to us about what are some of the um, general types of supplemental questions that schools are asking? Sure. I think
5: you you touched on it a little bit. The basic one, why this college? Why do you want to come here, right? And this is not the goal to write this essay is not to find lots of little details and list them all, details about the school. Oh, I want to take these classes. I want to take classes with these professors. Boom. That's not it. It's to show the reader the connection that you've made to that institution as regards your goals and your interests, right? Right. So how do the things that school offers connect with those things about you? What examples can you show? So, yeah, it's it's not bad to talk about courses you want to take or programs they have or professors there, but not just listing them, showing that direct connection that you've identified because that's convincing them of your clear and specific reasons for applying to that school.
1: Right, the why, right? And I I love when students are that specific because the other other harm is or the other bad form of a why this college essay is one that is so general that you could put any college's name there and it would work without making any other changes. But if all you're doing is telling me classes and professors and programs and you never connect the dots, as you're saying, between those pieces and what you're hoping to achieve in college, then it's going to fall flat. It just looks like you you went on their website and made a list, and that's it, right. so I,
5: I tell students all the time, your job is to convince your reader of the match that you found with that institution. What yep. are the very specific examples that you can show? Help them understand why you're applying here not not just you know randomly <laughs> right, right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Um, some, some other questions and I think kind of in keeping with the why why this college, why this major? Why do you want to study what you say you want to study? And I know this is a point of stress for students who aren't sure what they want to study. I have a lot of kids who are undecided and they say, well, is it bad if I don't know it, It's not bad undecided, I like to say, in many cases is not a dirty word, right it's, right it's right You can be undecided but some programs, it's really important to show, that interest, that kind of commitment, that exposure maybe that you've already had to something in that field, right? So certain places, some kind of computer science, engineering, things like that, maybe some business programs, not all, I don't Mm -hmm. want to generalize about those, but sometimes it's important to show that connection. But I just want to get the message out there that it's not a bad thing if you're not decided either. You don't have anything directly to say about specific majors. But in a response like that, if you're not sure what you want to study, you might talk about some things you're thinking about studying. Yes. And what that school offers in that vein.
1: Right. I I 100% agree with that. It's totally fine to be undecided. What's not fine is to say, I'm totally undecided, and then not give any indication of any academic interests at all, right? right? So come up with two or three things that you want to explore further. Don't forget, no one is ever going to go back to your application and say, hey, you are undecided, and you listed these three things as areas of interest, and I see that you are now majoring in something that's completely different. Nobody cares. Nobody they're cares. just looking to see that you have some academic interest because at the end of the day, college is about going and studying in the academic side first mm-hmm. um, and the rest of the experience second. Right. So I always said, that. that
5: first and foremost, they're looking for students, right? And then right. for the different interests and talents and skills and abilities that those students come with to, to share on the whole campus. But first and foremost, college is about education.
1: Yes, Absolutely. Um, another one that I see the you know asking about a community that you belong to. Any thoughts on that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
5: that's one that's popping up more these days, I think than than used to. I know University of Michigan always had that as one of their supplemental yeah. questions forever probably since before I even started in college advising, it seems, uh, but more schools are starting to come up with that. And I think it's really just to get a sense of where do students see themselves? You know, what are they identifying with in terms of uh, an interest or a group or a, a place where they feel they, they belong and fit in? And you know, how can they communicate their role there, their, their place there? Right. Uh, you know, how do it identify? And and now that identity, you know, lately, identity is becoming such a a big focus, and especially, let's face it, the Supreme Court decision and affirmative action and colleges aren't asking the same questions that they used to, to determine what communities, what groups, you know, what backgrounds, this might offer students the opportunity to talk about some of those things that the application is no longer directly asking.
1: Right, right. And and just to share some context, right, of your life with an admissions officer. And these are opportunities to do that, right? So you're, we do have these schools like Michigan, such a good example. They've always asked that community question, but we're seeing more schools ask something like that, um, right, in similar ways, just trying to get at a little bit more about who are you and how does that tie into the student that you are and the life experience that you've had and what you might bring to our campus, right?
5: Right. Let's face it. We know that coming from the admissions background, we know you're trying to build a class. You don't just want to randomly They admit everybody whose numbers look good, right? You're you're looking for the personalities. You're looking for different interests and talents and skills and backgrounds. And you want to have a nice variety of different types of people and experiences to come together on your campus who can share those experiences with one another and enrich each other's lives.
1: Right, exactly. So if everybody has the exact same experience, then it's a pretty boring place. And I think, you know, certainly there are some schools where the experience is going to be a little bit more homogenous and there are students who really seek that out. Um, One sign that that might be of little consideration to the admissions offices, they're not asking questions like that. Not to say that admissions offices that don't ask that question aren't looking for a lot of different experiences to bring to the campus, but certainly if they are asking that question and you're a student who's looking for something that isn't going to be the same old, same old all the time, and every student's going to be exactly like you, this is a sign that um, they're shooting for a little bit more variety. That's an intentional choice that that school is making, and that's going to be important to some students and perhaps less important to other students. Exactly. Um I think we touched on this already a little bit, but I'd like to go back to it because it does feel like it comes up frequently, which is why do colleges want students, you know, the whole point of the Common App was meant to be, in theory, that you fill out one application and you send it to schools that accept it and you don't have to do more than just filling out the one. And of course, supplemental essays mean that you are doing much more than just one. So why why is this important to the colleges? Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. The Common App, it was meant to be kind of a one-stop shop and and easier to get that all that information. But let's let's say, listen, the main part of the Common App saves you from having to repeat all of that same thing over and over and over right. again. So it's it's still accomplishing that. But individual colleges have individual interests. There might be hot button issues that they want to get your opinion on, or or maybe there's something about their campus culture or community that they've designed questions to ask you to get to the heart of how you view that or how you might react to that or, or interact with different people on the campus about that. Um, so th- it may not be readily apparent to you why they're asking certain questions, but they know why they're asking those yes. questions, right? And again, I think it all goes back to fit. It goes back to understanding where that student kind of meshes in to that campus community and what kind of a, maybe an intellectual capacity they may have you know, right. s- Especially some of the more selective colleges, the kinds of questions they're asking. They're not just looking for very basic responses. They're looking to understand how a student reasons through this question and thinks
1: about certain things. Right. Right. Absolutely. And You know, they're also looking, again, I I think I said it earlier, they're looking to see, do you really want to go here or are you just throwing an application their way? And when the student is just kind of throwing the application their way, it usually shows up in that supplemental essay. They've spent perhaps hours perfecting their main Common App essay and then minutes on the supplemental essay. And it shows.
5: Right. It, exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of students make is they just kind of, oh, well, that's an easy question. I'll just, you know, and zoom through it, and maybe not revise it, just kind of put it on the application as is. We've seen the end result of that too many times. And it just kind of makes you say, okay, well, I was kind of seriously looking at the student until I saw that they kind of blew off my supplemental question. And now, you know,
1: yeah, <laughs> I have um, many, many memories of reading through a file and being pretty excited about a student, and then getting to the Y pen and feeling like, oh, okay, well, never mind then. Yes. <laughs> because clearly this wasn't really an interest, or they would have spent more time on this piece. Correct. Um, while we have a little bit of time left, not much, um, I want to talk about where to find these because ah. it feels like it should be pretty straightforward, but they're not all in the same place. So, How do you make sure you've found all of the supplemental essays that, uh, or that you know that each school is asking? Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. So on the common application, yeah, it makes sense to say it's probably going to be more often than not, it will be in the writing section on the supplement. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in a sneaky way, (laughs) it's someplace else in the supplement. It could be in a, in, in, under the questions, right. Uh, Sometimes, the supplemental essay doesn't even appear on the application. You submit your application and then you get a notification through your student portal or through email saying, hey, we want you to answer these questions. Here's here's another essay. Please complete this.
1: My least favorite, right? Uh, You think you're done. You think you're done, but you're not done. That is not very common. So for Mm -hmm. people kind of like, oh my goodness, is this something I'm going to encounter at a lot of schools? No, you're not. But when they do it, it's not great. Um, and then the the only other thing I would mention is that sometimes you need to actually select the school if the, if the university has a number of different schools. Yes. Sometimes you need to select the school, right? Or sometimes you have to select the major before the yes. actual question will pop up. Right. Again, I don't think that's a really great thing, but maybe what they found was that if students if didn't have to do that, then they were writing seven different supplemental essays when they only needed to write one. I don't know. I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but do it not sure either yeah no. lisa thank you so thing much i to have to
5: deal with you are yes more than thank welcome. you so
1: much for joining today i really appreciate it thank you all right well um thanks to lisa and all my guests next week ian is hosting and we're covering do senior grades matter hint. Yes, they do. Um, The financial implications of applying ED and how to relax through this process. It is possible to be a little less stressed as you go through. And that's kind of, we want to offer you some thoughts on how to make that happen for you. Um, uh, If you have questions, you can submit them to us on Facebook or Instagram. Um, You could also send them via email, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit getintocollege.com.